Hello and welcome to this event with um, Nesta and Green Alliance. Really delighted for you to all join us. My name is Ravi Guru-Murthy and I'm the Chief Executive of Nesta. For those of you who don't know um, us, Nesta is the UK's innovation agency. Our mission is to try to um, promote social good and design and test new solutions to society's biggest challenges. And we've made one of our big three missions over the next 10 years to be focused really around net zero. It's called the Sustainable Future. And we're particularly focused on how you decarbonize homes. And that's one of the things that we're going to be discussing today. Um, I was reflecting on one of my first times at Labour Party conference. I was a sad 19-year-old intern at Demos. And I'd just written something in the Demos quarterly journal. Um, and it, the title of the piece was Green Jobs. And it was in a Demos quarterly journal called The Return of the Local. Um, so it just shows there are no new ideas or issues in politics. What's sort of interesting over the next 20 years, that was back in 1996, and unfortunately over the last 20 years I think we've seen lots and lots of action at a national level. I was heavily involved in the Climate Change Act um, in 2006 to 8, um, and there's been big change in the last 10 years in national infrastructure, huge increase in renewables, um, and, and the UK's made some quite um, big reductions in carbon emissions. The next 10 years, however, are going to be really, really challenging because the, the, the shift in focus will be towards consumers and people's homes and cars and streets. And that's why the role of local authorities, local leaders, city regions is going to be massive. And, and that's really the focus of today's discussion. So we've titled it Net Zero, What are the Big Ideas for a Locally-Led Transition to Low-Carbon Homes? And... The emphasis is partly on this idea of big ideas because I think anybody who works in this space knows that you often see huge commitments. So lots of local authorities declaring a climate emergency, but then you look at what they're doing and it's often not, not in, even in the remotely the same hemisphere as the, the sort of scale of the challenge. So what we're trying to do is increase the scale and ambition of the ideas given the kind of pace of change we need to make um, in the next 10 years. So with us to discuss that today, um, we have, first of all, Judith Blake. Uh, very welcome, Judith. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, Judith is the shadow spokesman for, um, shadow spokesperson for housing communities and local governments, and she's previously been the leader of Leeds City Council, so brings with her a wealth of experience in how to understand what the role of localities is, and in her new role um, with, with, with the... the um, MH, I, I used to work in this department, so I really struggle. I used to be, but it used to be called ODPM then, then it was DCLG, so I struggle with the initials. I should just call it the Michael Gove department, sadly, now. But um, with your new role, in, in, with your role in that um, department, uh, we're looking forward to hearing what local government can do to actually promote the, the transition to net zero. After Judith, we've got two other speakers um, we're hoping to join. Charlotte Nichols, who is on the um, Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Committee, and also Polly Billington, who's Director of UK 100. And we'll also be hearing from Green Alliance as well, Sam Alvis, who is the Head of Green Renewal. So without further ado, um, I'm going to hand over to um, Judith. What I'll do after Judith has spoken is throw it open to questions from, from you all. We'll then come back to subsequent speakers. So Judith, over to you. Thank you so much, Ravi, and thank you all of you for coming along to this really important, very topical um, session um, this morning. Um, just um, by way of further background, until March this year I was the leader of Leeds City Council. I have been leader for about six years, deputy leader, 
um, before, so forgive me if my contribution is a bit lead-centric, and since I've moved into the House of Lords, I, as Ravi said, I'm uh, taking on a much, um, a much wider brief, and uh, in terms of the name of the department, I still say that I'm part of the MHCLG because, quite frankly, what is it? The levelling up department? Yeah. Apparently they, the struggles were all around the acronym. You know, if you put the, the, the letters together, I'll leave it to your very broad imaginations to see some of the pitfalls that <laughs> the, the government were afraid of um, coming up with. But um, uh, just to say that this whole area is um, one that I've, I've been involved with for a long time feel very passionate about. Um, but it, I hope you'll forgive me because I, I do want to place the whole issue of housing within the broader context. And I think the really important aspect that we have to consider is the whole um, area of building sustainable communities. So um, carbon neutral homes within a setting where um, you can access, easily access um, work, leisure, um, family, fun, without having to rely on the private car, which is an enormous challenge. As you will see every time you turn the televisions on today, why is it that what is happening at the moment is triggering such a sense of panic? And I think it is a real lesson on just how dependent we are. But I, um, I wrote my big idea, if you like, um, and it, it's not rocket science. It really is um, asking um, or demanding governments bring forward legislation to give local authorities the powers and resources to deliver climate change action, especially focusing on delivering a skilled workforce and adequately funding um, locally determined priorities. Now, if I'd... Um, written it. Uh, you won't get that on a placard, will you? <laughs> it's not very snappy, but you know what? I could just go out and say, I'm going to demand that the next government spends £28 billion every year for 10 years on, um, on these initiatives. And what a fantastic um, commitment from Rachel yesterday. I think it's actually, she kept it very much under wraps and I think a huge um, commitment. So the reason I've, I've got the focus that I have is that local authorities are seriously hampered by the planning framework as it exists now. Um, we need to make sure when the, new, the planning legislation comes forward, we know it's not going to be in the form that was first proposed um, by the department. Um, we need to make sure that within that there's a recognition that the reason we can't really motor forward in the way that we'd like to is because of the constraints from government and planning legislation is an enormous one and similarly um, around um, highways as well but the biggest issue for me is the lack of ability for, for councils to really get back into the space of council house building and for me that would be um, give us the ability um, to um, really put into practice all of the issues that we've got. We have got some very enlightened um, social housing providers. So in my former ward in Leeds, um, Leeds Federated Housing have had a scheme and the, the impact it's had on the people who've moved in there in terms of um, um, the health impacts, the comfort impacts, but most importantly for the people in my community 
was the fact that it helped to address the terrible issues then, the growing issue of fuel poverty. And I think the point I want to make from a local authority perspective is that I think we are, you know, the, the sector is very well placed to actually work on the whole aspect of um, hearts and minds. Um, we, the approach that we took in Leeds was to, once we declared climate emergency, was to set up a Leeds Climate Commission. If you don't know about it, then I suggest that you find out about it. This is an independent body, chaired by um, one of the professors from Leeds University, bringing together the widest range of partners. Um, when we launched the commission, I, would, I went to speak at a huge lecture theatre filled to the rafters, and the first question I posed to people was how many of you coming in through the door were sceptical about the agenda before us? and not a single person put their hand up. And I think that's the, the biggest risk that we have, is always speaking to the converted. And what we need is the public to de be demanding the, the sort of standards in housing that we're, we're after, and really getting across to developers that the, this is the future housing stock that we need. Um, so a huge amount to do on regu building regulations as well um, to get. But we're, when we're really looking at the challenge that we have, I think the major challenge, if I'm honest with you, is all around retrofitting um, um, housing um, stock. Um, I think there's an incredible statistic um, that the majority of housing that people will live in by 2015 has already been built. And we know how woeful the standards of the housing stock that we have actually are. And we know the, the, the challenge that we have in making sure that um, we can retrofit with the permission of the people who live in the houses. And that is really an important, incredibly important aspect. Um, and and the, the solutions, I, I hope there's someone in the audience who has the technical understanding of just the challenge we're facing with retrofitting, you know, it really is not um, an easy proposition. But really working in partnership at a local level and using the, um, the examples that we have from incredibly innovative housing projects. So in Leeds we have a, pro um, a housing um, scheme called CITU, C-I-T-U, um, which um, we have badged as a climate innovation zone. And those houses are coming out of the ground. Be, they are now lived in. They've linked in directly into our um, direct heating system. Um, we, as a local authority, working with the combined authority, helped to put in um, the funding so that they could di di directly take the heat source from the incinerator I'm not sure incinerator is the word I'm supposed to use, actually. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, um, and that is the, 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 feet, uh, the heating source. Um, we, we actually funded uh, um, for the pipeline to, to go under a new bridge that we put across the river uh, to, to reach that. That is such, a, it's such an incredible example of what can be done. But one of the, um, the difficulties local authorities have if we 
um, if the, um, the project to accelerate the amount of council housing stock build was increased, we still have the real problem of the right to buy model. Um, and I, I think it's one of those debates that, that, that we actually in the Labour Party really need to focus on in terms of how we can make sure that local authorities can put in investment that you know, a few years down the line won't be subject to um, being taken, a, um, uh, taken away. So, um, huge, huge amount to discuss. What we've managed to do, um, building on the success of the Leeds Climate Commission, is we've managed to scale it, which has actually been used as the, um, as the basis of the work that's being done through the, the, the National Climate Change Committee. And I'm delighted to say that it's the, that, that model has been replicated all around the country at a very local level. But what we've also managed to do in Yorkshire is replicate the model at a Yorkshire-wide level. So we have a Yorkshire Climate um, Commission. And through that, we um, are actually addressing the wider issues of the fuel sources. So looking at working at a regional level to deliver... Um, solar farms that will need the battery development, looking at how that links to um, the Green New Deal, how we can actually make sure that we've got the skilled workforce to deliver this. Because I think one of the, um, the main challenges facing us all is that we don't have the skills uh, in the workforce that we need um, to deliver at scale. Um, and the overarching message um, that you will get from local authority leaders, from the regional mayors, is that we need to really look at the model of um, devolution that we have in this country. It is not devolution that would be recognised probably in any other part of Europe. England is the most centralised country um, in, um, I think I was quoted as saying in the Western world the other night, but... Um, I might stick with that. It sounds quite. It probably. It probably is virtually true. Certainly, Europe and America um, are way, way ahead of us in terms of um, channeling resource down to local level and, and allowing um, areas to develop um, around their own needs. So, um, I went to um, Germany to find out how they um, are working on their skills agenda. And I naively asked um, how the, what the relationship between um, the, the local education um, in cities like Berlin was with the National Department for Education. And honestly, I got a look as if I don't understand what you're talking about. And there is no National Education Department in Germany. It, it's all devolved down to a local level so they can actually look at the needs. So a pro program around housing would be fed into the decision makers and they would look at all of the necessary um, education requirements that would be needed over a significant uh, amount of time, a time period, um, to, um, to enable them to have the skills that they have. And the biggest difference is that the vocational skills area, if you like, is, is equally um, regarded as the academic. And I think we have a long way to go in this country to make this up. But 
it, this is a debate that's of its time. It is so critical. The, um, the fuel challenges facing us are immense. The fact that we are uh, um, allowed, to, you know, or, or very seriously prevented from turning down housing developments that haven't addressed the future fuel needs and the fact that gas probably will be running. We won't be able to rely on gas as a fuel source by 2030 and yet we are still building houses in, in 2021 and projecting um, therefore into the future with the housing permissions that they have is really some, uh, almost a, a scandal. So I think I'll leave it there, Ravi, and um, hope that uh, the other panellists come and join us so that we can move on to... Uh, Thank you very much, Judith. It's really helpful. So if people could put their hands up and we'll go to, their, go to them in a second. Can I just ask you to just clarify one thing? So yes. the big idea is about local government playing a much bigger role. And you, know, you talked about their planning powers, their ability to build council houses if they're allowed, uh, their yes. ability to mobilise the public, potentially plan for skills. In terms of the powers that you think we should be granting local government in order to do that, is it particularly around council house building and skills or is it other things as well? No, well, I think it, it, we have a huge opportunity at the moment. The Environment Bill is going through, has just been through the House of Lords and is going back to the Commons. We need to link, it, you'd think it was obvious, wouldn't you, that the Environment Bill would be linked to the, the planning legislation that's proposed, but I think it's the, it's the restrictions under the planning, planning um, um, legislation that are, that are the ones that we would like to see some further debate on and really make sure that it comes in. There is nothing worse than being in a position of a local authority and knowing that a housing development is not going to be sustainable, but knowing that if you turn that application down and it goes to appeal and it is overturned, then the local authority, and just remember the financial position of the local authority in yeah. the moment, will be subjected to um, incredible costs as a result of that process. That really does have to change. And it's a, about empowering local authorities to make the decisions at the local level that they need. Okay, great. That's really clear. So we've got one person there and one over there. We'll provide you with the mics. Yeah, Ant Reid. I'm a delegate from Stone, which is in rural Staffordshire. Uh, in my parish, we've got three different kinds of problems. One is old housing stock in the villages, single brick, oil-fired. What options do they have? be able to be greener. In our towns, we've got people on the gas, but they don't have the, 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 the footprint on their, on their houses to be able to put in, you know, ground sourced anything. What do we have there? And then you, you touched on planning there. Our parish and our borough would love to be able to turn down planning, but it's in building regs, and mm. they can't legitimately turn down poor yeah. planning. Electric vehicle points on every house would be good, all that sort of stuff. Um, what can we do? And can Nesta or one of your partners come to the towns across the Midlands and north of England and educate our residents, our councillors, but also our light engineering suppliers in what options there are mm. so that we can start to do this without government, so we can start to do this for ourselves? Mm. Thanks. Let's take, let's take three questions in a row and then, yeah, and then... Um, hello. Sorry, what's your um, name? Uh, sorry, my name is David Harvey, and I'm from MCS Foundation, um, and we work on sustainable homes. As part of the retrofitting program we're talking about, one of the key issues 
We'll take one more and then we'll go back to Judith. Yeah, hello, Trevor Mutant from Hove CLP. Um, I'm not an expert on this, and I know you've got a lot more information than I might, but um, um, uh, it's in relation to um, upgrading uh, heating systems. Um, I've experienced recently about a gas boiler, a combi boiler. Now, it's, I was trying to evaluate whether it's possible to go to air source heating, um, which in the winter, it doesn't look that efficient, and you have to put, put um, a tank into your roof. And if you've got a combi boiler, that's not particularly great. Look for all the options on the combi boilers, and the most recommended uh, ones available weren't necessarily hydrogen ready. And there's a lot of uncertainty about whether hydrogen will be in, whether it's 2% or up to 20%, and it may only be in certain regions anyway. So it doesn't give the consumer or the, 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 the purchaser any sense of peace, whether. Uh, purchase a hydrogen-ready uh, combi boiler, for instance. So, um, in terms of um, uh, the re retrofitting and improvements associated with heating systems, it is not exactly clear what to do at this point in time, uh, which is economical, and, and that the air source and um, hydrogen-ready type options uh, may not necessarily be the right decision at this point in time. Maybe a couple of years' time, that technology might improve. And they're also very significantly more expensive. So how do local authorities and, and uh, it, it, uh, house owners, et cetera, make those decisions? Great, thank you. Big questions, Judith. Yeah. Um, I, I, would, I would love to sit here and um, talk about um, taxation, and uh, but I, I, I don't think I'm in a position to be able to do that at this moment in time. But it's certainly one of the areas that does need serious um, consideration, David, but you know, please keep for putting forward all of those ideas. What we need is the hard evidence of what the barriers actually are and why. Um, what we need to change as we go forward. Um, Trevor, um, I, I absolutely agree, understand what you're saying, and, and uh, I feel a, a sense of frustration in a way because uh, Leeds and the wider Yorkshire region was really hoping to um, really lead the way on hydrogen and the, um, um, the ability to um, transfer um, heating sources to hydrogen so that you didn't have to go back in and retrofit all of the heating. The, we are getting to the point of trials, and I think it is something that we need to understand more fully. And I, I, I'd hope that once we get more certainty on, on just how serious a proposition it is that we can move at speed. Um, the, 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 I, I, it's hard to describe how much work has gone into this um, between the northeast and Yorkshire in particular. That's a huge area of, of um, experimentation and just I think that there, is, there are serious trials going on in, uh, in the Liverpool city region around transport uh, for example at the moment but um, I, I don't know the latest detail of where we've got to but that, and, and that, it just highlights the scandal, doesn't it, that we're still fitting the um, heating systems that we know could well be obsolete, and nobody even seems to be considering it. It doesn't even seem to be on the agenda when we go into seeking um, planning permissions. I'm, I'm really sorry, I didn't catch your name. Um, 
Ant. Thank you. Um, um, I, I absolutely um, support everything that you've said. Yes, we need to work. And it's not just at a, a city council level. It needs to drill right down into communities. And I think the more that we can come together and really understand um, what we mean by devolving powers down to the, lo the lowest level and that is appropriate. And, you know, um, parish councils, district councils have an enormous contribution to play. So very happy to, to keep that conversation going forward. Great, thank you. Sam, um, Sam, um, Sam Alvis from um, Green, Green Alliance, who's the head of Green Renewable, Green Renewal is going to talk to us about his big idea. No pressure. Thanks, Robbie. Um, right, so I mean, wholeheartedly agree with uh, everything Judith said, and I'm sure Polly will say in that uh, local is definitely the way to go with this stuff. It's where it's already working in social housing and elsewhere. Um, and it's interesting talking about innovation when it comes to homes and heating technology, because certainly from the Treasury standpoint, they are definitely not innovative. They've tried the Green, home, the green Deal, didn't work. So they tried the Green Homes Grant exactly the same way, surprisingly, didn't work. Um, so what we actually need is Treasury to innovate in the way that they're rolling out programs that are going to pay for home energy, home efficiency, um, and think about doing things a little bit differently. Um, and fundamentally, I think it's to ask Sunak and the Treasury to have a bit of faith in British business and British innovation. So offshore wind, as an example, we massively overestimated how much we thought offshore wind was going to cost. And it came down and down and down and down. There's no reason that can't happen with low carbon heating solutions if we put the right policies behind them. So rather than talk about local authorities, which are well covered, I'm going to talk hyper-local and how we get individuals to do some of this stuff, um, which is going to be really important because we need to build the markets, right? We need to make sure that we lower the cost so that everyone can afford this down the line. Um, we know that Octopus have promised to half the cost of heat pumps uh, when when they've got a market to sell them in, um, but we need people to buy them first. So the first thing I say is that what we don't want Treasury to do is pick a technology. So we know gas providers, for example, are super keen that everyone has a hydrogen-ready boiler, um, but hydrogen isn't going to be the solution for every home. So we need Treasury to be technology agnostic um, and make sure that however you want to make your home efficient or low carbon, um, you can do that in the way that is most suitable. Then alongside that, we need a long-term commitment. So we've had a series of short terms. We had the Green Homes Grant badge, just green recovery message, and then that funding was pulled. Supply chains take a long time to build. So we need to make sure that they have time to build and time to develop the skills. And not just in people who are exclusively fitting energy efficiency or exclusively fitting heat pumps, but how do we put those skills into other people who might be coming in to fit kitchens and be able to advise you on your home insulation? Can we do something with IKEA so they know what your home insulation and energy efficiency is like? like Any time you're doing something in your home, let's pair it with low carbon heating so that we're doing, making things as easy as possible. Secondly, pick your demographics. So base survey, we know there are 15% of people who are ready to do home decarbonisation now. Let's find them, let's work out what they need to be able to do that. Target them with their grants in the first instance. And to be honest, it's probably people like me who've been at home for the past 18 months may have a bit more savings, but I've also seen my energy bill skyrocket because my employer who's sat in the back row is no longer paying those energy bills, <laughs> which I would normally <coughs> do from working in the office. Um, 
And then the last big idea, so we've, we've touched on regulation in Judith's bag on, that I would say there is one way that Treasury like to give out money at the moment. It's the people like Ben Houchin in place to do things. We've heard talk of a hydrogen town, but why don't we have a heat pump town somewhere? I imagine it will end up being in the northeast to prove this can work and start recognising that actually other people are going to want them as well. Great, Sam. And you, you talked about hyper-local. Just yeah. say a little bit more about what you mean by that and why you're focusing on that level rather than, say, the local authority. Well, so I, I agree, local authority is the way. I didn't want to cover what Polly is, I'm sure, going to be speaking about. Um, but when I say hyper-local, so you look at the uptake of solar panels or electric vehicles, and if somebody puts a solar panel on their street, very, very quickly you will find people next door, over the road, one street over, putting out solar panels as well, because it's word of mouth. It's seeing that it works. It's trusted voices, like your friends and neighbours saying, I've saved a grand this year on my energy bills for having this solar panel, and look, it doesn't even look bad, and if everyone has them, it'll look even better. So it's that idea of almost the, the nudge behaviours between individuals that can really help build these markets. Great. Um, we can take two quick questions for Sam before moving on to Polly. Um, anyone want to quickly come in? Hi, I'm, I'm Bramwyn from um, Southern Water. So 20% of energy bills are, are spent on uh, heating water on average. Um, and we, like other companies, run huge water efficiency campaigns and retrofitting programs, often working with local authorities to target specific customer groups. Um, and carbon savings are obviously a big benefit of that. Um, how do you think we can ensure that energy, energy efficiency and water efficiency at local level is much more closely aligned? Um, to be honest, I don't know. Um, so, I mean, it goes, sort of goes to the point that I was saying about whenever we should have the level of advice and knowledge, particularly in supply chains, people who deliver this stuff, to be able to advise you whenever you're getting anything done in your home to improve your efficiency. And I, I guess that, that counts for water or electricity. So if you have a plumber come in, I would love that plumber to be able to say, have you thought about putting this stuff in your walls? Have you thought about this, which is going to reduce your energy consumption? I also obviously know about hydrogen plumbing and things like that. So making sure that green is embedded in training all of our professions when it comes to home retrofits, I think will be really important. Great, thank you. One final one and then we'll go to Polly. Sorry, me again, but on that point about educating the supply chain, that will take years and it'll be out of date by the time everyone's educated. Is there an ongoing rolling way of doing educating as technology changes, as things become cheaper, more possible? Sorry, what, is, is there a... If, if we're educating everyone <coughs> in the supply chain, that's yeah. like a million people. By the time you trained everyone, the tech's changed, and we'll need to train them again. Is there any concept of constant rolling education that can keep people aware of the changes and what was true now is not going to be true in three years in terms of hydrogen, etc. Yeah, that's definitely right. So we have a lifetime skills bill going through Parliament at the moment, um, which is going to be vital for this stuff. And there is a promise of locally delivered skills plans, um, which you'd hope retrofit and energy efficiency would be integral to. Um, that bill currently mentions net zero not once in any guise. Um, so there is an absolute job of work to do both in the Lords and then in the Commons after it to make sure that we are recognising the green skills that both for now and the ones that we'll need to adapt down the line uh, for continual learning. 
Great, thank you. Um, I'm not going to introduce Polly Billington. Thank you very much for joining us. Polly is the director of UK 100 and founder of that organisation in 2016 and has previously worked in government as the advisor to Ed Miliband when he was uh, Energy and Climate Change Secretary in 2008-2010 um, and has worked for um, Sadiq Khan on his uh, selection campaign to be London Mayor and is a campaigning specialist. So, Polly, welcome. What's your big idea? <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, I think probably... Um, it's great about Twitter, because even while I was speaking about air quality in the other meeting, I could keep on, on track on what Judith said, and I thought, yeah, basically, I can just turn up and say I agree with Judith. But, that's, <laughs> but um, you won't be surprised about that, because um, when Judith was leader of uh, Lead City Council, she was co-chair of UK 100, and we deliberately invited her to do that job because Leeds was doing so much work in understanding that um, dealing with climate needs to be a whole systems approach and needs to be integrated into the overall strategic objectives of your local um, authority. And if you put it in a, you know, in a side room with a sustainability officer, leave them in the dark and then wonder why you don't get anything, they're not, don't treat them like mushrooms, basically. Um, you, for, instead, they need to be absolutely out and about and integrating the, the sustainability and particularly decarbonisation into everything that you do. Um, the key thing about decarbonising homes is understand what local authorities' actual powers are, make sure that they use all of the powers they've got uh, we've published a book, um, a book, it feels like a book, I had to do the proofreading, it's a reference book rather than one to read from cover to cover, but it's a comprehensive, a comprehensive analysis of all the powers that local authorities have got that could be used to deal with net zero and climate action. Obviously there's a large section in there about buildings and homes and heat, and what was very interesting was that we found that actually local authorities have got lots of powers, but they don't necessarily have the competence and capacity and capability because of the way that the Whitehall in particular treats local government in terms of financial settlements and also treats them in terms of understanding that you can't just give them a sort of general competence to act, which is um, what happened to the local government bill in the early parts of uh, the, the uh, Tory administration without understanding that that needs to come with uh, um, resources to be able to make it a truth. One of our members, for example, when we were interviewing them for this piece of research, said, oh yeah, minimum, minimum energy efficiency standards, not worth the paper it's written on because we can't enforce it. We haven't got the resources to enforce it. So you've got legislation on the statute book which is not being used effectively. You've also got uh, standards like EPC which are, are not driving us towards decarbonisation of our homes but instead are driving us towards particular activities around energy efficiency but they don't encourage uh, net zero heat for example and, and so forth so we need to reform that but to go specifically to the point of local government powers I think you need to look focus on where local authorities have power to do something that demonstrates how things can make a difference and that is on their social housing assets, but also, and this is really important in the fact that you basically got, a, you're always going to have a mixed property economy. Demonstrate that by doing it on your local authority, on your local authority assets, particularly your council homes. Work with your housing associations to say that this needs to also happen there as well. And then make sure that what you do is create an opportunity for the privately owned, the private homeowners to go, 
oh, I want a bit of that too. Now, if it's only on, on uh, council estates, which, let's be honest about it, in most areas, people will not even walk through, let alone uh, pay attention to what's happening if they're private um, property owners. You need to be able to start showing that you've got a direct offer. But the, the, the key thing that doing that ha um, does is it creates a skilled workforce, which goes to uh, Sam's point and the points from the, from the conversations um, from the questioner. So I think what's really important to understand is that if you demonstrate leadership as a local authority by saying, we are going to do this for everybody who has a home that we own, we are going to make sure that other people who are responsible for people who are, who are, paying, who are paying social rent should also be doing this, and we are going to therefore skill up the workforce to make sure that those people who go, I simply can't find a good worker, which is actually a genuine complaint during the Green Homes Grant, actually can find those people that are reliable. Now, what's interesting is some people are actually now thinking about, do we need to have, even if it's an arm's length company, an energy services company um, part, um, uh, that the local authority has some kind of control over to be able to have that kind of uh, kite standard of approval of, of workers or, um, or, or uh, companies? Because without that, your privately owned uh, homes may not get where you, where you need to go. So I would say... There's, you know, there's loads of ideas, and the great thing about um, climate change, really, and I see that, say this as being relentlessly positive, is that there isn't one silver bullet. We've got to do whole, whole systems transformation. So I've come up with loads of ideas, but one is understand what powers that local authorities have got, use them to the absolute max, including thinking about how you establish those standards within the workforce, but also. Go back to government and say, if you really want to reach net zero, you can't do it without us. You're going to have to give us more competencies and more resources to use the competencies we've currently got. And without that, this target of 2050 will not happen without local delivery. And not just local delivery, but local co-design and policy solutions. What's happened in Leeds could happen in so many other places. We'll hear stories, I'm sure, from the, from the floor about what's happening in Nottingham and Bristol and all across the country. Why is that not feeding up to national government and also, may I say it, to the National Labour Party who need to, and this is one of the re brilliant reasons we've now got Judith in the House of Lords, some actual knowledge about decision-making of Labour in power in local authorities that can start shaping our policy, uh, the Labour Party's policy platform for the next general election. Thank you very much, Polly. Um, so Polly actually asked suggested, in fact, that we might hear from stories uh, in different localities about what's going on, and as well as questions for Polly and any of the speakers. It'd be really interesting to share um, insights from areas that are getting this right, because I think that could be really inspiring. So, yeah. Hi, Councillor um, John Savage, uh, Southampton City Council. Uh, and uh, former um, chair of planning. Um, we lost the administration in May, so we haven't got the clout that we used to have. But uh, I want to thank uh, Nestor, actually, because uh, part of my ward, we had a Nestor project uh, going on air quality uh, a couple of years ago, and that subsequently led to um, an active travel zone. Um, it re really was involved with an awful lot of co-design, and uh, the um, uh, old residents got involved with shaping up the way that that community was going to operate. Um, listening to what people were saying, I'd really like that to extend um, into uh, home heating. I was thinking about a sort of, because it's, it's an old community, the houses date back to 1900, you know, they've they got their small footprint and they're all narrowed together. But 
I could imagine that there would be space somewhere to be able to generate community heating that could go through there that an awful lot of people would buy into. Um, I just noticed that somebody from Southern Water was here, but um, Southern Water, sorry, I'll slag them off now, but they, they, uh, they converted their active travel zone into a HGV route for their uh, sewage removal when it had been uh, going quite nicely via the river previously. But um, anyway, um, well, don't want to dwell on that too much. I mean, I, I, I'm really excited by all this, but I'm particularly excited for that community and the way that it's been working in terms of code design, in terms of um, active travel in particular. And I think there's an awful lot we could do um, and I, 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 I'm not sure where I'm going now because we lost the administration in, uh, in May. And, um, uh, but I think there's an awful lot of potential in areas like that where parts of the city that feel like a small village and they would like to get together and sort something out. And um, um, that's my hope for the future, I suppose. Could I just come back on that? I think there's a couple of really important things there. Absolutely, you can, and Joe doesn't be able to tell you, but you can connect up old communities to new heat networks. That's one of the things that you're exploring uh, in Leeds. The other thing is, I know it's really depressing once you've, lost, once you've lost an administration. The good thing actually about this, and one of the key things we're trying to do as an organization, is establish a political consensus so things don't roll back once, um, once an ambitious administration is out of power. And what we've found, for example, we've got to renew our relationship with Southampton after May. But we've, for example, had Cambridgeshire County Council, which was doing loads of stuff on energy as a Conservative administration, and is now um, a, co a coalition between the Liberal Democrats and Labour, and they are maintaining the same ambition. They might be doing it in different ways, they might have other political priorities, but they're doing stuff. And one of the reasons why I mentioned Cambridgeshire is because they are, are, have got an oil-dependent off-grid village, which they are transforming into net-zero heating. Absolutely, that's co-designed with that community. And what's interesting as well about the stories and the way that it's often told is that the, the, the local authority isn't in the story. And I think this is a real miss for local authorities. I know you want to put your communities front and centre about the fact that they are, telling the, they, they are doing this. But it's your ability to be able to knock heads together and get people in the same room and find out where the money is and, and deal with local government and deal with national government that makes those things so much more possible. And, and telling the story of local authorities' ability to be able to transform this is a key part of establishing the political consensus so that you're not having a rollback or a race to the bottom. I think there's lots of opportunities there. Thank you. Thanks. Yes. And let's take sort of two or three and then we'll come back to the panel. Uh, Tom Sass from the Institute for Government. Um, just wanted to ask a bit about um, experiences of how you build a workforce in a, in a local area to do some of these changes. One of the big uh, problems with the Green Homes Grant, I think Sam was alluding to this, was the accreditation process was really, really slow and you weren't sort of seeing enough builders actually capable of putting these uh, changes in. But I also think you've sort of seen a cottage industry where, you know, actually for builders it's more attractive to go and do more sort of glamorous cosmetic sort of upgrades, you know, conservatories or whatever it is, rather than work on those sort of green improvements. So I just wondered what worked at a local level in terms of getting a a skilled workforce wanting to, to sort of make these changes in homes. Great, thank you. One on the workforce. Let's have to take a, another couple. Yeah. Thank you. Tom? Is that on? No? Yes? Yes? Okay. Um, I'll try and give the local example. So it's Kieran Williams, leader of Southwark Council, relatively newly. And I guess we're grappling with uh, all the challenges you've talked about. We have 55,000 homes that we as a council are responsible with, and to your point, Judith, 
sadly we've lost a third of those through right to buy to, from council ownership. Yeah. Um, at, so we're pushing forward all sorts of action, which is building building up. We're looking at extending our combined, combined heat and power system out uh, to a whole swathe of estates across Peckham. Um, we're looking at a home insulation program with one of the big energy companies that will get half of those homes insulated, we hope, over the next uh, 10 years. Um, but what we see, I suppose, is this uh, farcical situation of the repeated dependence on bidding for pots of money. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with our stock, we absolutely can set out a plan to say, how do we get the whole stock to net zero? Um, and we can go back to government of the day and say, you know, this is the things we can do fastest, this is the things that will take longer. If you give us this much money, we can do this. The idea that we have to keep going back and forth to bid for individual pots of money is ludicrous. And it sits in stark contrast, if we all remember the Decent Homes programme nationally, mm. where there was a clear national programme. Yeah. This is the money available. All council can secure their element of it, and we can all get on and do it. And I, I say that's important, it's not just because of the wasted time we spend on completing applications, but actually, it means that the industry does not scale up. Absolutely. The Decent Homes Programme, the Building Schools for the Future Programme, all those national programmes, they give the industry certainty of yeah. what's available. And so when we're grappling with uh, decarbonising our district heating systems, actually the biggest barrier we face right now is the capacity to do that work. Even if we had the money today, and we think that would probably cost us about half a billion pounds for us alone, um, we don't think the industry could scale up to do that work by 2030, which is when we're aiming for in the current context. Now, I do have faith that industry can do that um, if there is uh, the certainty. And, you know, we've all seen the transformation in digital companies, sudden ability to roll out full fibre across across everywhere, skill up a whole workforce to do that. Um, when the Decent Homes Programme itself was introduced, people said at the time uh, that there wouldn't be the people to fit the double glazing and the home insulation, but actually there were because that certainty was there. So, for me... The certainty and the trust in local places to set out a plan uh, and governments then put money into delivering that plan is, is the key that we need. Thank you very much. Let's take one more question. Yes. Hello, I'm Rosie Moore, councillor in Cambridge, not Cambridgeshire, uh, but Cambridge. And uh, we're doing a lot on, on retrofit. We've got uh, a project to... Um, we're getting some analysis of the archetype um, homes in Cambridge to, to see what would be the ideal way to retrofit each, just to give residents a head start. We've got a building control project starting this autumn to advise homeowners. But what we really want to do is, as Polly said, set up um, our own um, retrofit in conjunction with a private company. We've had really good success pairing up with a developer to build our 500 most recent council homes. And I just wonder, I know that um, Glasgow City Council have got one, and I just wonder if you know of any other councils who are a bit further along the road to us and that we could get advice and, and learn from them. Great. Um, Polly, do you want to take that last point first? I don't know there's a, a one that's doing that specific thing of having a sort of joint venture, particularly on decarbonising of existing homes. Obviously, there's quite a lot of joint ventures on building new ones, right? Because that's where the money is. And I think we need to be honest about that. I think, is it Kieran from Southwark? You're completely right. 
Um, there are pots of money, and it's what's interesting is that now there is now starting to become a consensus at national level that this is a mess. The Environmental Audit Commission said the bidding thing is is causing a problem, right? The Green Homes Grant, very clearly, that your point about the, you couldn't get an approved. You have you have a tiny a tiny amount of time to spend not actually that very much money, and you'll make it vanishingly difficult to find somebody who can do it. I mean, that is actually set for disaster. The only people who are any good at spending that money were local authorities. Who knew? Um, so I think there are some things there where, like you say, you can do it long-term, needs to, needs to happen. If we're not going to get the money from national government to the scale that we want, I, basically, I, the reason why I get like deeply, boringly pragmatic about this is because the science is barreling towards us and we can't wait for a Labour government. Um, I know that's what you, you'll all want. But in the interim, what we have is a UK infrastructure bank which is committed to four billion quid for local authorities. They have committed to helping local authorities in some way develop their projects in order to be able to access investment capital. They still haven't committed to that money being development capital. I think that's really, really important. But actually, the Decent Homes grant was, the, the Decent Homes programme was money in benefits to tenants out, right? Which is, I know, I'm talking to a whole bunch of Labour activists and Labour administra administrators who, for whom that is very, very comfortable. It's much more challenging when you look at trying to do retrofit where you might actually be able to repay some of the investment that's being made, right? And that's where some of the innovation that's happened in places like Leeds and in Nottingham, where you start combining a range of technologies, right? You kind of stack it up so that the retrofit is alongside other things and private investors start to see that as something that is worthwhile doing. Now, obviously you'll be freaking out thinking, I can't have fuel poor tenants paying a premium which is going to go to private people anywhere along the line. So you've got to stack it in a way that squares with what you want to do. You may find that you generate the income from the energy generation rather than from something else, and you can square it that way. But we are now looking at um, the, uh, the Green Finance Institute. It's got about 17 different demonstrators, not of technologies, but of different financial products and business models that are starting to work on how we retrofit our buildings. Now, these people are not political. They're finance people, right? So therefore, the engagement that is now required is between those finance people who understand how to stack up a business model and you guys who need to go, well, actually, I've got X amount of people who have got damp here and I've got these power blocks and I've got these small homes and I've got those, those, that shunky old Victorian stuff which is in private, and private ownership. How do we build this? But I want to do it in the whole community because I want everybody to benefit, right? How am I going to pull that together? Now, they're going to, normally, they will say, I'm sorry, that's A, far too complicated and not enough money for me to get out of bed. That's where the UK Infrastructure Bank has got to go to. And again, one of the things I would say to all of you guys to say to um, the National Party is when, you're to, when they are asking questions about the UK Infrastructure Bank, one, challenge them on the nature of the net zero mandate. Would it, for example, fund, I don't know, a coal mine in Cumbria, and if the answer to that is not a categorical no, then it's not a net zero mandate. Are we getting development capital to make sure that we can stack those products at the scale that means that we can transform places? Those are the things that I, I would do that would help with, with all the things we're talking about in terms of skilling up. Um, you can't do it just a bit. You've got to do it a lot. Thanks. It's slightly depressing talking about the role of the UK Infrastructure Bank having seen us invent a green investment bank in the last decade and then privatise it. Well, no, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. If they don't learn from what they did wrong in the last Green, in green Investment Bank, then the whole thing is a disaster, and we keep telling them that, right? The investment bank 
invested in things that the private sector would already invest in. That is a waste of government money. You need to be spending money creating markets and de-risking things so that the private capital will come along. And that is what they should be doing. Now, this should be meat and drink to you guys because it's about shaping markets and government intervention. And for the first time, dare I say it, I'm talking about establishing a political consensus. You've got a Tory government that is pretty much doing that. So make sure they do it right because we haven't got time. I know that's not what you want to say in the House of Lords, Judith. Um, well, Judith, you're good, 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 good. It's also going to be based in Leeds. Um, Which is also going to be based in Leeds. Thanks. Can, I, can I just get onto this point about um, skills and capability? Because if we think about the scale of change we need to get to in the next 10 years, it's colossal. And when you talk to people who are doing boiler installations, they'll probably come around to your house and go, ooh, not sure about heat pumps. And there's the big accreditation problems that you talked about. Um, Judith, can you say a little bit about, I mean, perhaps drawing from your, own, your past experience as much as your current role, about what you can do at a local level to really galvanise skills and capability. And I'd love, um, Sam, to bring you in on almost the national policy framework, yeah. because I think the other point you made was that it's no good doing this if there's chopping and changing of subsidies and, yeah. uh, and no certainty on the long term. So let's pick those up. So, um, so we have um, proven examples of how when you devolve responsibility for skills to local areas the outcomes are just off the scale. Yeah. Trying to manage a skills program from Whitehall is just a complete nonsense. So the approach we took when we got our growth deal several years ago now um, in, through the West Yorkshire Combined Authority was to really work at a local level. So bringing together businesses, absolutely key, with the education providers, with, and if you're talking about particularly attracting young people, but increasingly looking at reskilling, which is another area. But we're looking at, you know, including those young people in the decisions that you make and the options that are open to them. Because what you'll find is if you're not careful, you can set up these programs. And unfortunately, um, some of the local education providers, which has, you know, the education picture has become so fragmented now, you'll get the blockers who don't actually tell young people what opportunities yeah. are available. And it's actually making sure that you get in at a local level and really work with communities, work with, um, with um, carers, with parents, and understanding the opportunities that are available. And it isn't a short-term fix. This, is, this has to be properly planned. We know already, as Polly has said, the demands that are going to be there and the sort of um, skills base we're going to need. But bring it down to a local level and get all of that expertise in the room and you have a far greater chance of success. We have proven this. Um, but unfortunately, um, we keep um, going back to um, having those levers pulled away from us. Um, and and it, it can't continue because it is, really isn't delivery. I just want to say one other thing that we haven't touched on with all of the local schemes that we want to bring together is um, how we engage with um, private rented sector landlords. Because, you know, the idea that you have council estates that are in full council ownership has long gone. Uh, the ward I represented in Leeds was primarily council stock. And I think by the time I stepped down in May, some of the estates were 60% private rented. And, you know, that, and that is a massive challenge that we've all got to the local level. Yeah, I completely agree. 
when it's their tenants that are seeing the benefit and their energy bills, not the not the landlords. Yeah. Um, on the on the national side, I mean, Polly stole absolutely everything that I was going to say on the UK infrastructure bank, which I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so the problem we have when it comes to skills, and particularly in the construction sector, we have a skills deficit and an employment deficit before Brexit, yeah. before net zero. We were already playing catch up. So there needs to be a much greater emphasis on getting people into construction early on and combined with continual personal development, as we've talked about, for the people to learn who are already in construction and retrofit to learn about new technologies and things like that. We just have the Green Jobs Task Force, which actually is a fantastic paper by government and their advisors on the skills we need, what in what and where. But no representation of local government on but, that task force. But no. Mental. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But one of the one of the interesting things about construction is that homes are everywhere. It's the one that we know is absolutely everywhere. So the next stage to go on from that is we need a clearinghouse that says, local authorities, how many people with these skills do you have in your local authority, both in London, Manchester, wherever it is, and we need to be able to map that across the country to say, okay, there's absolutely none in Bristol, to take an example. Can we get something from Bath or Wales or the West Country so that we can better share those skills and prove where it's done right like in Nottingham with Energy Sprong and share that across the country through some sort of national clearinghouse. Thank you very, very much. Uh, I want to say thank you very much to all the panellists today and thank you for all of your points and questions. I think there's one takeaway for me from this is that even within the existing powers and competencies that uh, local, local government work under, there's a huge amount that they can and are doing. And it's by promoting that we can actually build the argument for even greater powers and support and resources. Um, but as well as sort of complaining about things, I think we need to celebrate what's going on and use it to build the argument for, um, for more power. And there are lots of policy initiatives that they may not be perfect, but they can be built upon to actually help local governments and implement some of the ideas that both Judith and Polly and, 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 and uh, Sam have talked about. So thank you very much to all of you panellists and thank you very much for attending. Uh, Nesta will be continuing to work on um, this mission of a sustainable future, particularly focused on decarbonising homes. So um, do watch out for some of the reports and ideas we we'll be putting out. Thank you very much.